Hey, Tyler Shields here, pastor of Rock House Baptist Church. I want to personally thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. We pray that the message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to be the person that God desires you to be. Be sure to check us out online at rockhousebaptist.org where you can find out more about how to connect, grow, and go. And now, today's message. So we've been going through the Word of God together, and I hope and pray that you're continuing that. Maybe you're like some of the others at this point, and you are, maybe you've read through the entire reading plan already, and you're going back through it. But I hope you're, you're still reading through God's Word with us. Last week, we kind of we paused to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, and uh, just say uh, it was an awesome Sunday. I really, really, really enjoyed being able to gather together somewhat, at least in our cars, down on the new property, to worship together. Uh, but, you know, moving forward, we felt like the digital world would be a little easier to keep up with, uh, easier to just let folks know we're going to be meeting online uh, in case we need to cancel for weather. It's just so hard to, to communicate right now, especially when you add all of the power outages. And I still don't have a phone line at home right now, so I feel your pain. Finally got some power last night, though. But prior to that, we were going through God's Word, uh, going through the story of God's people, seeing this uh, scarlet thread of redemption all throughout the Word of God from beginning to the end of where we'll end up. And two weeks ago, we were in this little bitty book of Ruth, looking at the love story and those four chapters of this man named Boaz and this, this uh, outsider woman, this widow woman by the name of Ruth. And that story painted such a beautiful picture of God's grace and God's love for us, Christ's love for His bride, the church. That took period during took period took uh, place during the period of the judges, and it was a very dark time, a very uh, difficult time for God's people in the Old Testament. Very spiritually corrupt and bankrupt. And from out of that period, the people of Israel began to see all the nations around them, and they began to realize that all of these nations have a king. They have a ruler, a man that rules over them and tells them what to do and provides for them and protects them. And they began to say, God, we want a king. We don't want these judges. We don't want these uh, leaders from amongst us. We want a, a king over us. And what they were saying, they didn't realize that they were saying, God, we don't want you to rule over us. We don't want you to provide for us anymore. We want a man that's going to do that for us. And God tells them, well, hey, this is not the right way to go, but if that's exactly what you want, <laughs> I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you what you want. And so they choose, by all worldly standards, probably the best man for the job. He's a big, tall guy, a strong man by the name of Saul. Saul becomes the first king of the nation of Israel. The only problem with Saul, he may have been fit for the job by, by all standards that we have, but but he was rotten on the inside. And that develops over the course of the first few several chapters there in 1 Samuel, uh, the book of 1 Samuel. And Saul begins to do okay. He, he, he somewhat trusts in the Lord, but it's more of a superstitious religion than it is a true faith. And as the story develops, we find out that King Saul is just a very terrible person. I mean, just an awful man on the inside. And so God lets this go on for a little while. And then he says, I've had enough. 
And he, he tells the prophet Samuel, he says, I am removing King Saul from his throne. And I'm going to give the people a king, not that they want, but a king that I am choosing, a man after my own heart. And we know the story, probably you've heard this before, where Samuel tells King Saul that God's taking him off the throne. And Samuel begins to look for the next king of Israel. And he goes down to a man named Jesse's house. Jesse happens to be a direct descendant of, guess who? Boaz and Ruth. Just a few generations later, Jesse has this family, has all these sons, and Samuel walks in, and, and this is the story you're probably familiar with. God tells Samuel, don't look at their countenance, don't judge their height and their stature and, and their strength. I'm examine the heart. And they, Samuel goes through and he looks at every son that Jesse has, and, and God tells him that none of these are the one. He says, well, is there any other son that you have, Jesse? And Jesse says, well, there's actually my youngest the runt, he's out there tending my sheep right now. He says, send for him. We're not going to even eat. This is so important. We're not going to sit down and eat until David gets here. And David comes in, and the Bible says Samuel knew this was the man for the job. This was God's man that he was going to make king. And so Samuel the prophet anoints this young man, king, the, the boy, shepherd boy David, as the next king of Israel. And then as time goes on a little bit, we come to a defining moment in David's life. It's one of my favorite stories. It's one of the most popular stories in the Bible. And after Samuel anoints David, David does not become king immediately. God still needs to fully develop David. He needs to put David in King Saul's court to serve and to see how being a king works. He needs to uh, get the people to rally around King David through a victory that we're going to read about this morning. And we come to 1 Samuel chapter 17 in your reading. And it's a story about slaying giants, the story of David and Goliath. And to give you a little bit of background, David is back home still taking care of his father's business. His brothers are out on the front lines. The nation of Israel has been pestered. They've been persecuted. They've been oppressed by these people called the Philistines for a long time. And it's, it's kind of coming to a head in the valley of Elah. And you've got the Philistines on one side. You've got the Israelites on the other. King Saul's out there. All of David's brothers are out there ready to fight this battle if it breaks loose. And... Jesse tells David, I want you to go check on your brothers and take them some food while you're at it. And so David goes out and he sees how this, this battlefield is lined up. And while he's out there checking on the situation, this, the Bible calls him the champion of the Philistines. It was their, 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 their uh, main uh, warrior, the giant of Gath named Goliath. He steps out. And he begins to taunt the Israelites, begins to call them names. He says, send me your best man. And instead of fighting army against army, they would fight a, a smaller battle, champion against champion. And he said, if, if you all win, we'll become your slaves. If we win, if I, the giant, kill your champion, then you all become our slaves. Of course, the Israelites were terrified of this. They didn't have a man that could stand up against this giant. And David's out there, and he hears all of this, and he begins to ask questions. He, he doesn't like what he's seeing and what he's hearing. And he begins to ask questions. Hey, what will King Saul give to the man that kills this giant? His brothers say, man, what are you talking? You're just wanting to get something out of this. And, and David's pretty angry. And David goes before King Saul, and he tells him, he's like, I, I want to fight this 
Philistine. And let's look at 1 Samuel 17. Let's start all the way down in verse 31. It says, when what David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And so he had David brought to him. See, Saul, I think, was a little scared too, and he's looking for his own champion. And David said to Saul, Don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. But Saul replied, You can't fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. And he's been a warrior since he was young. In other words, he's saying, You're just a kid, and this guy's been fighting people since he was a kid, since he was your age or younger. And David answered Saul, Your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. See here, David may seem inadequate for this task. He may seem like he's too young, he's not fit, he's not capable. But the thing is, God has been preparing David for this moment for years and years at this point. And what I'm trying to tell you is that as we go through life, every moment of our life, everything that we go through, God is preparing us in some way for what's going to come next. We're always constantly living in the meantime. And God is taking every situation, the coronavirus, everything that we're having to deal with, and He's using that to shape us and to mold us and to prepare and equip us for maybe something even greater down the road that we'll have to deal with and conquer. Or maybe even to take what we've learned and the knowledge and the capabilities that God has taught us through this situation and we can pass that on to somebody else who later is going through the same thing. For whatever reason, we live in such a culture, especially a church culture, that is so afraid, so terrified of conflict, so terrified of pain, and so terrified of hurt, and so afraid of any kind of friction or any kind of uh, discomfort, to the point that we have created theology in our churches that says Christians don't even have to suffer. What a bunch of baloney. When the Word of God clearly tells us that everything we go through has a purpose, that all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to His purpose, the Bible tells us that we are to consider it all joy, brothers and sisters, when we go through various trials when we go through hurts, we go through pains, we go through situations that stretch our faith, when we stand before giants, because God uses those little moments, sometimes big moments, to prepare us for these great moments where we stand before the giant. And in faith, we say we're ready for the task. But look what happens. Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. And here's something interesting happens before David takes the battlefield. Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. He put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. 
And David strapped his sword on over the military clothes and tried to walk, but he was not used to them. And Saul was a big man too, by the way. David was not such a large man. He was a young man at this point. I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. And so David took them off. And instead he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones. We'll come back to these stones in a minute. From the wadi and put them in the pouch in his shepherd's bag. And then with his sling in his hand he approached the Philistine. It's so interesting that Saul, he thought David needed what he had. That David needed the, uh, the weapons and the capabilities that he had in order to face his own giant. But the thing is, God equips each and every one of us in different ways. You realize we're not all the same. God gifts each and every one of us in the church uh, he gives us spiritual gifts that are different, different talents. We all have different backgrounds. We have different experiences. And, and, and when you put all of these differences together, it makes a very healthy and beautiful body. And the thing is, when we go out as a church and we want to make disciples, an important thing we've got to remember is that we're not supposed to go out and make people that are just like us. My job is not to make disciples that look just like Tyler. Our job is to make disciples that look like the Lord Jesus Christ, but are gifted, each one uniquely in his own or her own way. And all of those different gifts, just like Paul says, the, the church is a body. You know, my finger is so much different than, than, say, my heart. They look different. They function different. But Lord knows I need my fingers and I need my heart to be a functional, healthy body. Likewise, we need all of these different people with their different talents, their different gifts, their different uh, capabilities to come together as the body of Christ, be proud of our differences, and work together for the common good of building up the kingdom of the Lord. And so David takes all of that junk off. And the Bible says he goes down to the creek, or the wadi, and he takes five smooth stones and he gets a sling. Now when I hear a sling, I think of a slingshot. But it's probably more something like this. This is a shepherd's sling from the Holy Land. And really they would take and they may put the stone in here. And I don't know exactly how. I'm not a professional. But you can imagine winding this thing up and letting it go. And just how uh, forceful that would be for somebody that practiced and used this thing a lot. Now people ask the question, why did David choose five stones? And one of the explanations is that, well... David chose five because he was afraid he'd miss, or he thought maybe one wouldn't do the job. But I'll tell you what, as we see, if you can use one of these things and hit a man between the eyes and the forehead and knock him down, I don't think you're really worried about missing. So we'll talk about the reason why he chose five here in a moment, but just hold on to that thought. So he approaches the Philistine giant, and the Bible says the Philistine came closer and closer to David, with the shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him, because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? And then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David. And I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts. And notice what David's response was. 
David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied Him. And today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I'll strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. And then all the world will know that Israel has a God. And this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. This is an important lesson for us that we'll come back to. For the battle is the Lord's, and He will hand you over to us. Sometimes when we fight our battles, we, we forget that we're not fighting one another. We're not fighting other people. And we've got to remember that, that there's... When somebody says something to you or somebody hurts you, it's not just them that you're fighting. And you don't need to take it all out on them. Our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces, the principalities. It is a spiritual battle. And we're going to talk about how we fight spiritual battles here in just a minute. But David realized that even this battle, as he stood before this physical giant, it wasn't just a physical battle. This was the battle that belonged to the Lord. And it was as much a spiritual battle as it was a physical battle. And verse 48 says, When the Philistines started forward to attack him, get this, folks, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. I don't know about you, but when I read about little old David running quickly toward this giant, gosh, we li like I said, we live in such a culture, in such a world where we're so afraid to face any giants. We're so afraid to face any criticism, so afraid to face any hurt or any pain that, that life may th throw our way. And we want to blame God. And we want to blame this and that and all these other people instead of just fighting the fight. We need some people like David, some Christians that are willing to run their hardest towards the giants. I mean, he ran towards an armed giant with a little old sling and five stones. That's just like charging the gates of hell with a water pistol. I want somebody that's got some faith like that in the church today and not only did he charge the giant with a little sling and five stones remember why did he choose five stones it wasn't because he's was afraid to miss we find out later that second in second samuel that the giant of gath the man named goliath had four other sons and I think David was not only prepared to face this giant, I think he grabbed four more stones to kill four more giant sons if they reared their ugly head too. So we need not only faith that says, let's face the giant, but let's face every other giant that may pop his head up along the way. Let's take them all out if we have to. So David goes. The Bible says he put his hand in the bag. He took out a stone and he slung it. And he hit the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank deep into his forehead and he fell face down to the ground. This would make such an awesome movie today, by the way. David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. And David ran once again. And he stood over him. He grabbed the Philistine's sword, pulled it from its sheath and used it to kill him. 
take note of that. This Philistine wasn't dead just yet. And David still ran towards him. And then he cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah rallied, shouting their battle cry, and chased the Philistines to the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. Philistine bodies were strewn all along. And long story short, David becomes the champion of the nation of Israel. The people begin to rally around him. They begin to uh, praise his victory and, and sing songs about him. And the, the Israelites gain a great victory because this one little shepherd boy had the faith and the courage to go out and face the giant that everybody else was afraid and scared to face. Can you imagine being one of those other soldiers standing there? knowing that it should be you out there on the front line fighting this giant. And this little boy goes out and does your job <laughs> and steals your glory and eventually becomes the king of the nation. Like I said, our battles today aren't always against people. It's a spiritual battle. And how do we fight spiritual giants? How do we go out and face them? How, how do we engage in spiritual warfare? Well, the New Testament gives us an answer for this. And it's no coincidence, in my opinion, that David chose five stones and a sling when the Apostle Paul gives us five tools and a sword that we're supposed to use to fight our spiritual battles. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul He's teaching about Christian warfare. And he says in verse 10, Finally be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength. And this is where we start. Every morning we've got to start right here. He says, put on the full armor of God. You can't put Saul's armor on. You can't put Tyler's armor on. You can't put Brian's armor on. You've got to get up and put on the armor of God. He says, so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil, against this, what seems to be a giant sometimes. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. And so he says, For this reason, because we're not fighting against flesh and blood, because it's a spiritual battle, for this reason, take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having prepared everything to take your stand. He says, stand. Therefore, you don't have to lay down and take it. You stand. Therefore, here's the first one, with truth, like a belt around your waist. Cling to the voice of truth. The devil is a liar and the father of lies. And the first thing that he's going to come at you with is some sort of lie. Maybe it's a lie in your own mind. Maybe it's a lie that comes through somebody else. But you cling to the truth. What's the truth? This right here is the truth. The Word of God is perfect and true. Jesus said that you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. If something's trying to bind you, it's probably a lie from the devil. Cling to the truth. That's why we've got to get into the Word until the Word gets into us. We've got to know the truth. He says, righteousness, like armor on your chest, or a breastplate of righteousness, as some say. Our only righteousness, the only righteousness for our heart, 
comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll just be honest with you. None of this, none of what I'm talking about will apply to you without the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. He says, And your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. Oh, man. We've got to be willing. And it's one of the things that I like about the church being deployed out to where we are. We should be the church right now where we are. Our feet ready and, and sandaled to share the gospel with our neighbors, with the people around us. Anybody that we can come in contact with in our time of isolation. He says, in every situation, take up the shield of faith. I, I, like, what he, I like the picture he's got here. Take up the shield of faith with, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. He's saying those lies that the devil is going to throw at you, these uh, temptations that he's going to throw your way, they're like flaming arrows. And you need to pull out your faith, Christian. You need to pull out the shield of faith. And that shield, that faith, can extinguish those temptations, can extinguish those lies. And, and I mean, wow, what... What more do we need than faith sometimes? Jesus said the faith of a mustard seed can move mountains. He says, finally, take the helmet of salvation. You think about what a helmet does. It guards your head. It guards your mind. Sometimes the devil wants to attack even your very salvation. He wants to make you think, you know what? You're, you're not going to heaven. You're not good enough. You're not good enough to go to heaven. You're not good enough to serve in the church. You're not good enough to take them sandaled feet and share the gospel with somebody. It's a lie. Protect your mind with the helmet of salvation. And that's the five stones that we have to fight spiritual battles. And then he says one other thing. David used a sling. Paul says, you take up the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Sharper than any two-edged sword. And then he says one other thing. You put all this stuff on. You pull up the Word of God. And then he reminds us one more thing. He says, and then pray. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert with all perseverance and intercession. For all the saints. We've got to pray for each other. We've got to pray for these situations that we're, we're in. We've got to pray that these giants fall at our feet. Everything that we do needs to be bathed in prayer. You can be girded up with all of the armor and all the right Christian mottos and all the right Bible verses. But listen, man, there is power when God's people hit their knees and pray. That's why Paul throws it in here with everything else. He says, also pray for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known the boldness and the mystery of the gospel. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Pray for those that are out there on the front lines. All these pastors of all these churches that are trying to navigate all of this, this, this weird situation. and Pray that the gospel goes out effectively. Folks, that is... How we fight our battles. We put on the armor of God. We hit our knees in prayer. We lift our hands in praise. I think Paul would add that one in there because he's seen the, the shackles come off his feet, but just because he was praising God one night. But again, all of this, everything we've talked about, you're, you're, if you don't have Jesus Christ, it all hinges on, on him. How are you going to take up a shield of faith? How are you going to wear a helmet of salvation? 
How, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have the truth. I'll be honest with you. That makes you a loser. You're no giant slayer without Him. The devil is a giant like no other. And if you don't have Christ, then He's going to be pretty hard on you. He's going to win. But on the flip side of that, if you have Jesus, with Him all things are possible. There's nothing that's going to stand in your way. You can run up to a giant, his four sons, just like David, and be victorious because Jesus was victorious. And he overcame the greatest giant, our sin, our death, our, even the devil himself on Calvary's cross. Now, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you need one, here's what I want you to do. I want you to drop us a message, send us a text, try and give us a call if you can. Whatever you need to do to, to let us know that you want somebody to walk with you through this, and to pray with you. And we'd be more than glad to do that. Everybody else, I hope this message inspired you. I want you to go out this week and start slaying some giants. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to face them. You go out there with faith and trust in the Lord and you knock them down. And I hope and pray that we can be together soon. And until then, know that I'm praying for you. And uh, I want to pray with you right now, actually. Let's close out in prayer. Father, thank you, Lord, for allowing us to somewhat be together, Lord, through this technology. Thank you, God, for allowing us to dive into your word together this morning, wherever we are, if it's in our homes, if it's in our car. God, wherever we're at, thank you for meeting us there, for being with us. Lord, you said where two or three are gathered together in my name, I will be there with them. And God, we thank you that you are with us all over this country, all over this world, as families are gathered together, Lord, to worship you. Lord, sometimes we... We get so afraid, and, we, and God, today we admit that our, our fear is just simply a, a lack of faith. And God, we're sorry for our fear. God, we repent from it. And God, I pray that you would just uh, equip us to put on the armor of God, to take up the shield of faith. Lord, when these attacks comes, we wouldn't get mad at our brother and sister. We wouldn't lay down and, and just roll over and die, God. But we would be willing to fight the good fight, to keep the faith. And God, that through you, I pray we could watch giants fall all around us. We thank you for sending Jesus, the greatest giant slayer the world has ever known. Thank you for allowing him to come and die for us and to rise from the grave. Lord, we thank you that we got to celebrate that together last week. We love you and we pray that you continue to be with us, that you continue to empower and strengthen your church wherever she finds herself today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for tuning in today. And remember, the greatest decision that you could ever make is to place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and begin a personal relationship with Him. Again, thanks for listening. God bless.